0: A code red for humanity. Curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different.
1: When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green, I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. It is unequivocal
0: that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon series three, the sky's the limit. I'm Ian Collins. Well, COP26 might be done and dusted, but the analysis, the holding... Politicians to account, and the debates have only really just begun. This podcast will let no issue slide on these matters. The man front and center is the green entrepreneur, Dale Vince. Morning, Dale. Morning, Ian. How's things? Good. You survived two weeks of COP. <laughs> there was a lot of hot air, which is always the irony, isn't there, going on when you're at a climate conference? Uh, but there was a lot of hot air. But were there, you know, chinks of light that we can say, well, okay, we're on the right trajectory. There were a lot of cops as
1: well, actually, I've got to say. I mean, yeah. there was like a sea of cops around the place, which which at times felt a little bit intimidating. I always feel a bit dodgy when I'm walking towards a kind of a wall of cops, you know, like I must be part of my history or something.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> of course- Something <laughs> in the DNA, just <laughs> kind of. Yeah.
1: And I did have the run-in, of course, with the undercover boys, uh, which, you know, probably justifies how I feel about it all. But um, yeah, chinks of light, absolutely. You know, I feel that COP was um, in a measured way on its own terms, uh, given that expectations were low going in, our government hadn't prepared and all that kind of stuff. On its own terms, I thought it was a success uh, to a degree, because, you know, we've got... um, Firstly, the naming of fossil fuels is something that we have to give up and that has never yep. happened before in the yep. history of all COPs because uh, vested interests have prevented it as uh, as people probably know. At the end of every COP, every country has to agree to the wording in a statement. Yeah, and yeah. Up until now, every country would not agree to say that we simply have to give up fossil fuels, which is incredible because we all know that. So that was a big win. And the other two big wins were really were the annual focus on one and a half degrees and every country's plan to hit one and a half degrees. So before this COP, the plans to hit the um, zero carbon trajectory were not going to be reviewed until 2030, which is a little bit too late, especially given that we know the plans currently aren't good enough anyway to get to one and a half degrees. So that's going to happen annually. And one and a half degrees is a standing topic uh, for COP now, instead of something that, you know, is a bit ad hoc. So for me, it's a ratcheting up of focus on exactly what we need to do, give up fossil fuels, and how are we going to get to one and a half degrees? And we look, we're going to be looking at that now every year until it's done, hopefully.
0: Yeah, that's not going to go away, is it? I mean, that's the good thing, that up until now, it was always kind of a, you know, dare I, a sort of almost a casual, frighteningly casual conversation, you know, that we are uh, governments. So, well, you know, we, we, we like this idea. We'll try and get to it. And then they kind of moved on very quickly. But I think now it's firmly kind of ingrained on this agenda. It would be very hard for any politician to swerve that again.
1: Yeah, it just takes time, doesn't it? I mean, I think Paris was 2015 or something, wasn't it? The one and a half degree target. And, you know, bugger all has really been done about it up until now. Um, And and I I just think that, you know, as a world, we're kind of inching our way towards this. You know, there's no talk of climate denial or questionable science anymore now all of the talk is about 100 percent cuts and sure and when we get there you know too many decades away right now but that will change and um you know we're on course for 2.4 degrees currently we need to aim for one and a half worst case really and uh, yeah i mean i came away thinking do you know what this was progress actually in its own terms this is good progress
0: well it was enough to make alex Sharma cry at the end i mean i <laughs> did he <laughs> I, did you no, see no, this? That, that, was, was- that
1: was because Johnson came back on a train. That's,
0: what that <laughs> That's right. He thought he would <laughs> never see it. The Messiah <laughs> took public transport. Uh, but there was this very kind of you know, emotional moment from him as he sort of closed up. And I thought, well, I don't want to sound too cynical about a man's emotions, particularly if he means what he's saying, but you know, it was, it was, I don't, was he acting this out? Was he genuinely that moved by what was happening or what wasn't happening? I have no idea, but I'm reminded of Matt Hancock shedding a crocodile
1: tear in the height of the pandemic. Oh, when the vaccines. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah,
0: yeah. But I don't know,
1: Alec. I don't know if it was genuine, so I'm not like... uh I'm yeah, not, yeah, I'm not
0: saying that. I but no it idea. seemed genuine. But then I thought, well, this is a politician. They're very good at bullshitting, aren't they? So, <laughs> That's true. Just to put it bluntly. But <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I saw this story that might intrigue you, Dale. This is quite encouraging. Three in four people in the UK believe kids should learn about climate change in primary school mm. uh, or earlier. Um, and I was quite surprised. My little boy is seven, so he's at primary school, and it does come up. Um, I, I was surprised it wasn't kind of already ingrained into the curriculum.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and it's not. Um, And I don't know if we talked about this on here yet or not, but we launched something new a few weeks ago. Um, And it is a primary school curriculum that we've developed with teachers that has sustainability and the climate crisis woven into every topic. And we launched it in September with 15 schools nationally piloting it. Uh, We set up and called ourselves the Ministry of Eco-Education, we're going to do secondary schools next, but within the next couple of years, we aim
0: to get into 50% of primary schools with this new curriculum. Yeah. Interesting, uh, kind of tying in with uh, information, if you like, Facebook promoting climate change denial during COP26. This is not a good look. Is it?
1: <laughs> well, it's Facelook, you know. That's uh, why Facebook. <laughs> Facelook.
0: Face face is a good... Uh, I thought they should have changed you know, their names. Forget all this corporate
1: stuff. <laughs> Facebook yeah. Forget meta. That's just some yeah. kind of next-level
0: BS. And I that know. That. I did. But it's kind of funny because they keep saying, no, no, we're on top of this stuff. They did it with you know, with the coronavirus. Sort of fake news uh, that sort of snaked its way around the place. And, and, and here they are again, unable to control What what is genuinely quite terrifyingly dangerous news.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, we launched a thing called EcoBot just ahead of COP which is a kind of new initiative to, to scrape the internet looking for greenwash, actually. And, and when we set out, it was to look at climate denial because I'd read that 30% of all of that stuff on social media was actually delivered by bots. And so we set out probably a year and a half ago with the idea to create a, an eco-bot army to, uh, to, right. yeah. to have a bot-on-bot bot battle uh, yeah. you know, on social media. But it turned out, as, when we looked deeper, that the bigger issue was actually greenwash. Um, so we, we set up this website that, uh, that is flagging greenwash at the moment, which is really interesting. It's ecobot.net, um, with a hyphen in the middle between eco and bot if anyone's interested. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think greenwash is the new frontier, actually. I think climate denial is is old news. I think it's kind of fading away. It's not, it's not the big game now. It's, uh, it's about delay, and greenwash is a big part of that. You know, corporates yep. and governments kind of uh, posturing and pretending, which is greenwash, in order just
0: to kind of slow down the rate of progress. Uh, a lot of the questions we've had in this week are reference cops. So let's start with one from Hannah um, on a scale of one to ten one being a disaster, 10 being amazing. How do you think COP went? All talk or some action? We've touched on some of that, but let's give it a rating down.
1: Yeah, I think I have to give it a five. Um, you know, I think it's a really, actually, it's a positive outcome. So I should probably go for six in that case, actually. I'm talking myself up here. But for for me, the, the really disappointing thing about COP was something really small. Something, and I think that's why it's disappointing, something the UN or, or or britain as hosts could have dealt with which is the menu you know the whole world came together to talk about the climate crisis we know that food is one of the biggest drivers of it and yet the menu was climate crisis causing food and i just thought that was a massively missed opportunity to to give delegates uh you know a taste of uh, uh, you know what it looks like to to eat a zero carbon diet
0: yeah so between the private jets and the menu i mean these th- not really good looks for uh people no. at the helm of the uh, of this no. agenda.
1: It's about walking the walk, you know, or walking the talk, you know, and obviously Johnson's flying and everybody else's flying was a you know was a bad aspect, but but just the catering. I mean, come on. You know, we talked to the UN about this three cops ago in Bonn, I think it was, mm. and and they were like, Yeah, it's a little bit difficult. We know we need to do something. And you know, so I was really disappointed just to see a range of Scottish beef and Scottish salmon and Scottish cheese. You know, and and I get they want to sell local stuff, but uh, Glasgow itself had an amazing amount of vegan restaurants and cafes, some great chefs there. You know, those guys who could, have co- could have come in and, and done a local vegan or plant-based yeah. version of COP, you know, and that would have been a real, a real opportunity to platform the exact diet that we all need to be having in order to get to zero carbon. I
0: mean, and if get- nothing else, you might think a disproportionate, correctly disproportionate focus on plant-based food would have been on the menu. Yeah. Um, but that clearly didn't happen. No, it's a shame.
1: I think I read somewhere that maybe the 40% of the whole menu were, were vegan options, but I couldn't see that. And, um, and, and I called this out at one panel session uh, late in the two weeks, and a member of staff approached me afterwards and said, I'm really glad you said the vegan word because we're not allowed to use it. And I've been working 15-hour days, and all they feed me is rice. And I was thinking, blind, what's, what's, what's happening here? Are, are we in Qatar?
0: I was about <laughs> to say, yeah, this is like the <laughs> Qatari system. What's yeah. happening? <laughs>
1: yeah. So uh, you know, I think. And and it's the little things I think that are the most disappointing, you know. And and I know that uh, like our government put food into the zero carbon plan and then took it out. And and most people that are running big venues are afraid of the food issue. They think their audience won't like it. But we've done it in football, and our argument there was that football is two hours every fortnight. It's not a big deal. Come and try something different. And look, a cop is two weeks every year. It shouldn't be a big deal, you know, for people mm. to come and try something different. That's how I look at it.
0: Yeah. Um, It's interesting because just when you think people, certainly within the media, are are, are sort of getting on the same um, page on all of this stuff. Andrew Neil pops up. He said this week that journalists are basically the PR department of Greenpeace when it comes to reporting on the climate crisis. Uh, As the interviewer indicated, he would like to return to British screens in the future. What do you make of that? i i think he shouldn't bother i think he should stay away <laughs> because we you know we we can do
1: quite nicely without him i quite like his political kind of uh ding-dongs you know the interviews he has with politicians yeah. at election time but um you know he had a he had a bit of a debacle on gb news i think didn't he was that the same guy
0: yeah that's him he was meant to be the f- sort of face of it, the chairman of it you know but kind of which pe- made people think he owned it but he didn't he he was just the kind of He give it the title chairman in order to sell it and give it some credibility, and then it all went. What's that phrase? Tits up. So he bottled it, didn't he? He just ran away from it. He just said, "I'm I'm not doing this." And I think when Farage came in, he was kind of like, "Well, that's my last. um, That's the last chance you had of getting me, and now you've done this, and I'm off." Well, maybe he's got some standards there. So that's pretty cool.
1: But look, I, I think what he said about Greenpeace is just uh, a soundbite for attention. Do you know what I mean? It's not about Greenpeace. Uh, the climate crisis is, you know, way beyond any single NGO. This is a matter of fact, a matter of scientific fact. And every government of the world is, is on board to one degree or another with the fact that we've got to do something about it. And so I think he's being silly and it was just for attention.
0: Here's a question from Chris. Uh, he emailed zerocarbonista at uk. If you want to get in touch, you can use that email address. He says, do you think Insulate Britain are doing the right thing? Do you have any thoughts on the prison sentences for the protesters? Because some are actually in jail now.
1: Yeah, they finally are, aren't they? I mean, I, I did read that they'd complained uh, pre-COP that they weren't being jailed and they thought the government were doing it just to avoid the, the bad look of jailing climate activists ahead of <laughs> hosting a COP, which, you know, would have been a bad look. So cops over next thing you know they're all banged up. Um, yeah. So I think they were probably right. I thought the worst part for me of that was actually the guy that was super honest, Doctor Ben, somebody said, look, you know, if I'm not locked up, I'm going out to do it again. And he got six months, whereas the other guys I think got two or three months yeah. for doing the same thing. Uh, just that he was, you know, he was that super honest, and the judge took offence. Seems wrong to me that. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean their 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 campaign is a bit more nuanced, doesn't it? Because this is sort of about lagging your loft and insulating your house as distinct from the wider issue they've they've focused it onto that yeah i mean
1: it's an essential thing that we have to do actually um to get to zero carbon it's a it's a big piece of the puzzle it does take government it will require government action uh, yeah. because you know there's 28 million homes in britain and most of them are terribly insulated and so we're just sh- you know shipping a lot of heat out into the atmosphere burning more fuel than we need to and and it doesn't matter if we switch to renewable energy if we're still burning more than we need to you know we're making the job harder for ourselves i mean that bang on right it also helps to keep bills down and, Actually make homes habitable, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of people live in damp homes because of poor insulation and yeah, that kind yeah, yeah. of stuff. So, you know, I mean their cause is super altruistic. It's an important piece of the climate change puzzle. And, you know, I support them and I don't really care if anybody says I shouldn't and it's a bad thing. And, you know, I just don't care about that.
0: Um, here's a final story to look at. We've got some other questions as well, though. Melting greenland glaciers are releasing nutrient rich silt with potential potential agricultural applications, according to experts in Copenhagen, scientists are examining away in which the consequences of global warming could deliver a way to fight against its effects. What
1: do you make of this? Uh, I'm worried, actually. What we don't need is a commercial opportunity from the climate crisis, like, uh, you know, the opening up of the, was it the Northwest Passage or something like that, you know, an ice-free zone around the top of the world as a, as a benefit of the climate crisis. I think sure. the BBC once mentioned that a few months ago, didn't they? Like some of the upsides of the climate crisis, they, they put up on their website and then took it down again pretty quick. Yeah, we, we, we kind of don't need that. It's, um, I'd say that's a bit of a worry. But I, I learned something interesting while I was a cop that um, burning fossil fuels, I mean, it is driving global warming, the climate crisis, and that kind of stuff. But when we stop burning them, we're actually going to increase global warming because uh, burning fossil fuels sticks something else into the atmosphere, an aerosol of, of some kind that deflects heat away from our planet. And when we stop putting that up as well. Wow. Uh, you know, it's going to have a push-me-pull-you kind of effect on, uh, yeah. on global temperatures, which is why there's a big argument that food is actually a more important change to make than uh, giving up fossil fuels. We've got to That's do both, but actually with food, there's no hidden disbenefit. Of course,
0: yeah. That's an interesting balance. So, uh, the world of science and scientific engineering, environmental engineering, has got to find a way to counter that one. I assume. Yeah. yeah, indeed. Um, James on Twitter: What was your favorite moment of COP twenty six? I'm about to ask you your favorite as well as your least favorite. Let's start <laughs> with the best bit.
1: I think I think my favorite was being pulled by the cops. I, I have no idea why, but yeah. but it it did tickle me. Um, and uh,
0: I and- love the fact. Do you know what I like about that? So you told the story last week. Is that um, at least one of those cops would have Googled you afterwards <laughs> and they'd have gone, Oh shit. Uh it would have been that moment in the play. Just- so it's only the egotricity bloke, isn't it? <laughs> the one we see on the telly. Yeah, him. Yeah. That'd yeah. have been a moment. You'd have been the kind of token nicked Well, you weren't nicked. I mean they were very nice to you, weren't they? So yeah. They were very nice, but
1: uh, insistent. And uh, yeah, I mean, good job. I weren't up to anything is all I want to say. That's very true. But uh, Um, my my, my other favorite moment, because I've got two really, is the fact that, uh, you know, Johnson thought he could just be super hypocritical, berate the whole world for the gap between actions and words, and then jump on a private jet to go back to London, not to go to work, but to go to a private dinner in a men-only club yeah. um and he thought he could get away with that but he couldn't and when he went back to cop he did it on a train and i and that for me that was a that was a magic moment you mean not facetiously genuinely genuinely yeah i thought you know this is this is fucking fantastic you know johnson's got hold of the issue and he realizes that he can't just get away with this this you know this yeah. mad hypocrisy yeah. Um, which was, you know, inflaming me, quite honestly, to hear him say these things.
0: And it's also, it's just a train journey as well, which is a very pleasant way to travel. We should add that. And of course, if you're the prime minister, I assume, you know, your people take over a carriage, so it becomes a moving office as well. It's not exactly inconducive with work. So um, probably more practical than a plane, aside from the environmental implications.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's just no harm, is there? You know, although I don't know what work the guy actually has to do.
0: Um, so I don't know if it makes got, any difference. What's that thing? Running the country, I think is what he's like. saying. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we can see a lot of evidence of that around us, can't we? Yeah. Being, being done running down well. the
0: country, <laughs> um yeah. Gemma on Facebook says seriously I thought she was literally she says seriously where do you get your energy from I thought it was a question literally like windmills where where? where is it but actually she's talking about your own personal energy she says I'm I'm 30 I can't possibly keep up with your output a nice one <laughs> well it's got to be a vegan diet I reckon it's got to be that
1: I'm going to put it down to that yeah um, but th- that reminded me it used to be a slogan of uh, I think of EDF actually you used to see it at football games where do they get their energy from it was an advert but they were, you just reminded me of that, Gemma. Thank yeah. you.
0: Well, I think I told you. I saw a documentary about a retired um, heart surgeon in the states, and he was—I think he was a hundred and three—and he has—he's ne- only ever been a vegan. He's never ever because he was brought up. There was a slight religious component to his upbringing, which informed it, and there's nothing wrong with that. And he at very well and only had a vegan diet never touched alcohol either never smoked any of that stuff but the vegan diet he said was central to his longevity
1: yeah i mean it just makes a big difference when when you don't eat animals you save your body from an incredible toxic load that it has to deal with i think that alone makes a big difference um but you know it, our footballers report having more energy on a vegan diet and, and faster recovery and stuff. And the elite athletes now in every sport you can name are, are doing the same thing and saying the same things. I think it's become a, you know, a kind of established fact, actually, yeah. that eating animals is bad for us. So, uh, yeah.
0: I just mentioned religion there, and Misa sent this email in, which I think has got a kind of religious component to it. It says, Dale, I read about your club on the Asahi website here in Tokyo. Your spirit deeply impressed my heart. I now listen to the podcast. Once COVID is over, I'm coming to visit Forest Green Rovers. Misa sounds like a follower. I think that's really sweet, actually. It's a lovely, lovely comment. Uh, Are are you ready to take up the cudgels of a messianic figure,
1: Dale? No, I don't see it like that. I I really don't. You you need a robe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's a really sweet comment. I love that. Um, Very nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, Asahi's my favourite beer. I don't know if that website is um, the, uh, the beer website, Asahi, but, you know, uh, Japanese beer is... It's a lovely beer, isn't it? One of my favourites, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to have one tonight, actually. I'm off to watch James Bond. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they serve Asahi in the bar. But, look, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And, and perhaps look forward to meeting one day.
0: Dale, that's it for this week. We'll speak next week. Nice one. Thanks, Ian. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider. That way you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. Really important bit, follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash Vince and facebook.com slash DaleVince. Zero Carbon East On.